Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves by studying His Word. David and Kay Arthur are coming to Brantford, Ontario this September. We want to invite you to join us at Central Baptist Church on September 6th and 7th for a two-day conference that you won't want to miss. David and Kay will be bringing a timely message on holding fast through suffering and trials using the book of 1 Peter. Registration is open and tickets are going fast. The cost for this conference is only $79, and with a limited number of seats available, you will want to register soon. Register online on our website or by calling our office at 877-234-2030. Has your life been changed by inductive Bible study? Why not invite someone to learn the inductive method by taking part in one of our many workshops happening across Canada? Interested in hosting a workshop in your church? Contact our events team today by emailing training at preceptministries.ca and bring the transforming power of God's Word to your community. Four years ago, we started to pray and ask God to provide a facility that would allow Precept to have larger classrooms to fill with students studying the Bible each week. In the summer of 2018, God opened the floodgates of blessing and provided Precept with a beautiful building that met all of our requirements. In February, we launched our Thrive Building Campaign to help meet the financial needs of this new building. Would you prayerfully consider partnering with us? You can find out more information about the Thrive Building Campaign, as well as watch a video tour of our new facility by visiting us online at www.preceptministries.ca slash thrive. Together, we can engage more people in relationship with God through knowing His Word. Stay up to date with everything happening at the ministry. Visit us online at preceptministries.ca or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hello, everyone. It's Mark Sheldrake here with Derek Kamink, and this is Unlocking the Truth podcast. We're happy that you are with us. Derek, how are you doing this week? I'm doing all right. It's exciting to, to continue walking this, uh, this journey towards Easter. I am uh, really looking forward to... Uh, you know, the next two weeks in this podcast, Journey to the Cross. Uh, last year, Derek, around Easter time, mm-hmm. I was in Israel. Uh, we spent, Jessica, my wife and I, we spent uh, Passover in Jerusalem, had a wonderful opportunity uh, also to be able to um, teach from these very verses that we're going to be looking at today in the life, the final hours of Jesus' life. Uh, in Caiaphas's house, and so I want to kind of set that up uh, before we begin and, and give you a description of uh, what that looks like. You know, first sure. and starting f- first is the Garden of Gethsemane, a wonderful garden. There's a Catholic church, you know, that is built right beside yeah. the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, when I was in Israel in 2013, I think it was 2013 or 2014. Uh, we had an opportunity to go into the private garden in the Garden of Gethsemane mm-hmm. where all the olive trees are. A really great opportunity to take our Israel tour participants through and give them some time to pray in the garden and 
and uh, you know meditate upon uh, what Jesus was about to go through in that garden. Just across from that private garden was that Catholic church, and that Catholic church uh, inside the Catholic church, in a part of the foundation and built around it, is this rock that we'll look at in a few minutes. This rock that was built, uh, that was there, that they they believe is the location of where Jesus was just a stone's throw away from the disciples mm -hmm. and where he was praying and agonizing to the point of uh, blood dripping down on the rock. And then straight across, you have to go through a valley to get there, but straight across would be the old city of Jerusalem. And then within you know, that general area, you would have the garden tomb and the... Um, Golgotha or the place of the skull where Jesus would be crucified but really all within short walking distance that helps you really understand where we are so why don't you pray and then we'll begin to look at uh, Luke chapter 22 and 23. All right almighty God we uh, come to you again and we thank you for the opportunity <clears throat> that we have to be in your word once again and at this time of year when we uh, remember what happened to your son uh, for us, uh, we take this time to, to focus on those last few hours of, of his life here on earth, the things that, that he did, the things that happened to him, um, as a way of, uh, of just remembering what he went through in order for us to receive the gift of, of grace and of salvation and of eternal life that we have uh, waiting for us when you call us home. Uh, so I pray that you'll uh, be with us here as we discuss these texts, that you will lead and guide our, our conversation. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Do you remember um, a number of years ago, Derek, there was a movie that was put out by Mel Gibson mm -hmm. called The Passion of Christ? Yeah. And uh, I remember um, that movie. It, the funniest thing, I purchased that movie on DVD after watching it in the theater. Yeah. And I, to this day, I don't know how long it's been, but I have never taken the plastic off that yeah. DVD. Yeah. Like, I've never watched it again. Yeah, it was pretty gruesome. Yeah, I remember sitting in the theater, and uh, I had brought my youth group when I was oh, a youth boy. pastor. I brought them all, and we went the Thursday before Good Friday, oh, yeah. Thursday night. Because I knew the hall, it was a holiday for the kids, and they could, you know, basically come to church the next day and, mm -hmm. and celebrate. But what what still reigns home to me in that movie is that crucifixion mm -hmm. scene um, where he's scourged and beaten, and we'll look at that in the text. And when he's arrested and he's spat on and he's mocked, and then when each nail was driven into his wrists mm -hmm. and into his feet the pain and the screaming that came out of that, uh, those things are ingrained in my mind mm -hmm. that I saw that physically yeah. on a, a screen, you know? And what I'm hoping that we get out of this podcast is that we don't just come up to Easter and we come to the point where this is not new and fresh yeah. every time yeah. that we 
we just we we sit there maybe in our church or we sit there in our in our daily reading when we come across this and we're like, yeah, I know this. I've mm-hmm. heard this before. I, I does it have the maximum impact that right. it had the first time you heard about his sacrifice and his his uh, trial and yeah. his arrest and everything that that brought you to your knees in the in the knowledge of needing a savior comparable to say maybe your 30 years 50 years 10 years 20, whatever mm-hmm. in your walk with Christ where this these events don't hold the same level of uh intensity or yeah. passion yeah um so that's what my prayer is how about you yeah i think the danger is because this is a text that we go back to once a year that it it becomes yeah i've heard this before i know all this and uh but it's it's imperative that we that we do go back here often this is the crux of the entire story of the bible uh from the very beginning uh this was god's plan in order to bring us uh bring us salvation uh and so the reason we go back every year is because it is so important because it matters um you know we look at something like the lord's supper or communion and, and that's something that we do once a month, and that too can get to be just a thing that we do because it's something that we do. But we have to make sure that uh, we allow ourselves to to listen and to hear uh, what is actually happening. This isn't this isn't just a movie. This isn't just a story about some guy. Uh, this is actually happened, and these things that Jesus Christ is going through here now, he is going through them uh, so that we don't have to experience that type of pain or death. Yeah, absolutely. And you remember in the last podcast, we left off with Jesus praying. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're picking up in Luke chapter 22. And uh, when he, it says in verse uh, 39, he came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him when he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. You know, if you go to the book of Matthew, and this is the part where Jesus is like, you know, stay awake, be alert, be yeah. ready, don't fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and prays and he comes back and they're sleeping. He goes <laughs> yeah. back. And, and so, you know, don't fall into temptation. He says he withdrew from, a, from them about a stone's throw away. And it, when I hear that, this is... This is the difference in the value mm-hmm. of actually being in Israel and, and taking a precept Israel tour yeah. is you are literally, you can now look and say, yeah, yeah, I can throw a stone that far. Yeah. Like when he describes that it's a stone's throw away, yeah. there's not this massive separation between where Jesus is praying mm-hmm. and where those disciples are staying alert. Yeah. The garden is just not that big. Right, yeah. And, uh, you know, the interesting part of that is the olive trees, you know, in the olive garden, Mm -hmm. uh, but there was a big fire that burned them all down. But the roots of those trees are still the original roots of the trees from uh, Jesus' time, and they grew back up. Wow. Yeah. And, and, uh, but in the garden, he's praying, and look what he says here, um, uh, Father, if you are willing to remove the cup from me, Yet not my will, but yours be done. Um, Now an angel of heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood 
falling down upon the ground. Can you just imagine, like, let's not even go further than that point right now, that here is the Son of God, mm-hmm. and, and what's happening with him in the garden? Well, I, and he understands. He knows what's coming. He knows what's happening. He's been talking about it for a while now, right? The hour has now come. Um, and as he goes to the Father, uh, this is just a perfect picture of submission, of uh, knowing what's coming, his request to the Father is, if there is any other way, then let's do it that way. But, he says, if this is your will, then I'll be obedient to it. It is the, it is the perfect picture of, of submitting your will to the will of the Father. Um, but that doesn't mean that it got any easier for him. Mm-hmm. He decided to submit, then he started dropping uh, sweat or blood was dripping from his head. Yeah, I mean, we have to remember here, fully God, fully man. And his flesh is what's in agony. Mm-hmm. He knows what's to come. Yeah. But there's this, this, oh, man, if I, oh, there's got, you know, can there be a father if there is another way? Can yeah. this be taken from, from me? But as we know, there isn't anymore. Verse 45 says, when he rose from prayer... He came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. Mm -hmm. He said, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I always think back to the John 17 passage and whether it's the same prayer. You know, uh, Father, uh, keep them in your name because I was guarding them while I was with them on earth. And, you you know, this is a prime example. Stay awake, keep alert, be in prayer so that you don't fall into temptation. Do you, you know... The uh, 2019 version of this might be a shoulder shaking. Big. Do you not know I'm leaving you soon? Yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm leaving, man. Yeah. Pay attention. Don't you get it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, while he was speaking, verse 47. Uh, Behold, a crowd came, and one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them, and he approached Jesus to kill him, to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas. Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those who were around him saw what was going, going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut his right ear off. But Jesus answered and said, Stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed them. This is one of my most favorite parts of this crucifixion story. Because here they are, they are so mad mm-hmm. at Jesus. Yeah. You know, the raising of Lazarus was the tipping point. You raised somebody from the dead. Yeah. And you just became the number one hit on the Pharisees list. Yeah. Number two, according to John, was <laughs> Lazarus. Yeah. Because he went around telling everybody what Jesus was doing. Mm-hmm. But they are so mad that they're not, they're so blinded yeah. by the fact that, you know, as John said, we saw his glory, yeah. God's glory through Jesus. They don't see that this is the Messiah that's come. They're so blinded by that to the point that when one of their guys gets their ear cut off yeah. and Jesus picks it up off the ground, holds it in his hands, puts it back on and heals him of it. They don't stop and say, whoa, that was 
how, wait, how did you do that? Yeah. They're like, continue with the arrest. Yeah, let's get on with it. And let's keep going. Yeah, and we, we have one of his own, Judas, leading, leading this group, right? And the last time we saw Judas, he was saying, oh, surely not I, Rabbi. And, and Jesus looks him square in the eyes and says, yeah, it's, it's you. Go and do what you need to do. And this is, this is what he's done. And he, and he comes up and, and Jesus knows exactly what's going on. And it's almost like he doesn't give him the chance to do what it is that, that he's trying to do. He says, are you coming to betray me? Is this happening now? And, uh, and then, of course, um, you know, the, the ear gets chopped off. And, and yeah, Jesus says to the high priests and the officers uh, of the temple and the elders who come against him, have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay a hand on me. But this hour and the power of darkness are yours. Uh, this, is, this is sort of uh, Jesus scolding the, the, the Pharisees saying, why didn't you just arrest me while I was in the temple? I'm there every single day. You know exactly where I am. And he goes, you do it now in the darkness so no one can see what you're doing. So he's calling them out. He knows, he knows their, uh, their cowardice when they come to, to arrest him. And they knew, and he knew in the upper room when they were having the Last Supper, mm -hmm. when he was explaining the new covenant in his blood, that one was going to betray him. Mm -hmm. You know, he washed his feet. He knew it was Judas yeah. that was going to betray him. So he wasn't surprised when Judas showed up on yeah, the scene exactly. with this mob to, to arrest him. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, this is God's will. He just prayed it, God's will. Now it's coming to fruition. Mm -hmm that it's going to happen. And he's then arrested. It says in verse 54, Having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. So this is Caiaphas's house. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter was sitting among them and the servant girl seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looked intently at him and said, This man was with him too. And then we'll get into those three denials of um, Jesus from Peter. Mm -hmm. But you know, I want to tell you in Caiaphas's house, you know, when we, when we go to Israel on our Israel tour, uh, we get to go into, into Caiaphas's house and we, uh, there is a jail cell mm -hmm. in there. And what it is, it's a deep, dark pit mm -hmm. with a hole in the top and there's stairs to get in and out. But they, would have lowered Jesus into that pit by rope and mm -hmm. he would have gone down into a complete darkness. It's lit now, you know, and there's all this yeah. stuff that's there. But he would have been sitting in that deep, dark pit all mm -hmm. by himself, uh, just with him, his fleshly thoughts. Yeah. And, you know, he's already really had one of his last conversations with the Father. Yeah but he would have been all by himself. And so what we do on the Israel tour is you turn the lights out. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, you want to know what it's like to be, feel like what Jesus did? Yeah. You know, let's walk in Jesus' shoes for a minute. We, we, we'll walk from the Mount of Olives down into where Caiaphas's house is. Yeah. We'll go into Caiaphas's house. We'll go down into the prison and we'll sit there and we'll shut the lights out. And then uh, we read from, from the Psalms. Mm -hmm. And it's such a powerful moment to be able to, know that here, this is where, uh, you know, our Savior was before yeah. uh, he was crucified. So there they are. First time Peter denies uh, Jesus. 
And uh, Peter said, man, I am not uh, one of them. Mm -hmm. And then that's verse 58. That's the second time. And about an hour had passed, and another man began to insist, saying, certainly this man was also with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Immediately, while he was speaking, a rooster crowed. And so this is prophecy again from Jesus, because yeah. what did Jesus say would happen regarding Peter? Yeah, he said, Peter, you're going you're gonna to deny me. And Peter says, no, no, never, never. And he says, three times you're going to deny me before, <laughs> before, the, before the night is over. But that, by the time the rooster crows and it happens exactly the way that Jesus says it's going to happen. It's amazing when you were at Caiaphas's house, and this is the thing we've we've got that they there's steps to Caiaphas's house that yeah. are original from the time of Jesus. He would have walked those steps up, and uh, as we're standing outside there, you can hear a rooster crowing, and you're like, "Oh come on, <laughs> this cannot be!" Like, is and, and I remember my wife going, "It's real, it's real. The yeah. rooster's real. The rooster's real. It and, must be, and it's got to be real. I can't believe it's crowing, and it's crowing on good front, you know, like and." <laughs> All of this, and and uh, we found out later it's a tape, you know, there's a tape recording of this rooster that keeps crowing. I'm like, wow, that's really impressive because at first I thought this is really eerie, you know, yeah. but uh, yeah. the rooster crows, mm-hmm. and the and uh, the rooster crowed three times. Uh, then Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine the feelings that he would have had spending mm-hmm. all that time with Jesus? Now, Peter wasn't really, he was always the first to speak. Yeah. But his reaction too to what he had done to his save to yeah. to his mentor and his teacher um, is very interesting. Yeah, and this this verse in Luke that says um, the rooster crowed in sixty one said the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord how he had told him before rooster crows today you'll deny me three times. Um, I think about. Um, you know, there's there's times in shows or movies where where someone's just railing on someone, just calling them out, saying this person's terrible, they're awful, I hate them, and they go, they're standing right behind me, aren't they? And it's like they, Peter does this, and then he sees Jesus, and Jesus looks at him with that knowing look. I knew you were going to do this. I told you you were going to do this, and it must have just pierced Peter right through to his heart to know that that he denied that he ever would. And not only did he do it, but Jesus saw it and heard those words, I do not know you. And of course, Peter then uh, just completely breaks down because of, because of the guilt that he feels for betraying or for denying uh, his, his master. It's amazing how what we'll see is such a hard driven agenda by hate mm-hmm. and you miss all of the things that Jesus is you know showing that he is proof that he is the son of mm-hmm. God if you look at verses <coughs> 63 to 71 now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him and beating him they blindfolded him were asking him saying prophesy who is the one who hit you can you imagine mm. just this complete you know mockery yeah. of Jesus and 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 his gifting from the Lord to, right. I mean it's saddening for sure mm-hmm. but he had to go through it it's prophecy yeah so they were saying uh, who's the one who hit you they were saying other things against him blaspheming when it was the day the council of elders of the people assembled both chief priests and scribes they led him away to the council chamber saying if you are the Christ tell us 
But he said, if I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. I'm sure that just made them even more angry. Yeah, yeah. he's a little bit indignant at, at this point, right? The Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Yeah, and they said, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, yes, I am. And they said, what further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his mouth. And that's what they wanted. We got him. We have him now. Yeah. He's now said he's the son of our God. Yeah. Let's crucify him. Yeah. Chapter 23, verse 1. Then the whole body of them got up and brought him before Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is a Christ for the king. It's like almost, if you think about it, there was a pharisaical notebook yeah. that they wrote out, one, don't pay tax, you know. Yeah. He didn't say that. No, he didn't. Two, this is what he did. Three, and, and they came with this list of grievances mm -hmm. right from the beginning. And what I do like, you know, I don't like that they did that. But yeah. what is interesting is that they even went right to the taxes yes so that it would draw Pilate's ear right that's what he cares about right <laughs> yeah. what what i find interesting too is that they hold this trial he admits well he admits in quotes what he what they need they've got him but they can't do anything they actually don't have any power to 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 actually convict him of the crime that they say he commits and it's like, all right, now let's go run to Pilate who can actually do something about it. And exactly right. He, they come before him and they don't say, here is someone who is blaspheming the name of God because Pilate didn't care about who God was. But if they said, he's misleading our nation, he's forbidding them to pay taxes to Caesar, that's all Pilate needed to hear. And then they add, and he also says that he is the Christ, the son of our God. And we don't like that. Mm-hmm. And you know what I love about this passage too, and we'll skip down because for time's sake, but you know, he goes before Pilate and, and Luke, the way he describes it, um, he says, when Pilate heard, he found, he found no guilt mm -hmm. in Jesus. And it said in verse eight, it says, now Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus for he had wanted to see him for a really long time. Yeah, I heard about <laughs> this guy. <laughs> because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed by him. So he was like, oh, wow, I've heard about this guy, but I want to see the miracles that mm -hmm. he's performing. But then he goes on and he gets mocked and they start to dress him up like a king and royalty. Yeah. Um, and this is when, um, you know, the next thing, and I won't read through all the scriptures, but the next significant thing is that Pilate knew there was no guilt in him, mm -hmm. but gave the option to the people, yeah. would you like a murderer to be released? Mm -hmm. Or would you like Jesus to be released? Yeah. And they ask for the release of Barabbas. Mm -hmm. And they scream, crucify Jesus. Yeah. And do you know, one thing that to point out is because it's agenda driven, mm -hmm. because it's G, their whole purpose is to drive their agenda in killing him. Yeah. They don't look to the truth. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we have going on in this world today. Yeah. Like where we live right now, we have 
agenda-driven um, mentality mm-hmm. where we don't look at the truth. Yeah. And, you know, I can't remember who I heard it from, but uh, the, the point was made was when did we stop looking at the truth of science mm-hmm. or using science to um, for our arguments. Right, yeah. And we started going to sort of a feelings base right. or a moral truth mm-hmm. base versus this is what the science says, yeah. which that's what they, people used to do even for the existence of God. God right. doesn't exist because this is the science. Yeah. But now we don't hear that very often. Right. Even science is put on the back burner mm-hmm. for, well, this is how I feel, yeah. or this is what I think is right. Yeah. Yeah. Or what I identify with. Yeah. Or, and so within the agenda driven mentality that's happening in Israel, you're so focused on killing Jesus. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, that's God's will. It's supposed to happen that way. He's supposed to die for our sins. Yeah. But you're missing the truth. Mm-hmm. You're totally out to lunch of what's going on. You've, yeah. you've had a miracle where he he put the, the guy's ear back on. Mm-hmm. He, you've had him proclaim that he is the Son of God. He's had three years of ministry and so proving all along the preaching of the kingdom and that, you know, the kingdom is at hand, mm-hmm. the kingdom is coming, and all of these things surrounding that you had the opportunity to see the glory of God on earth, but your agenda has your blinders on that yeah. you're missing all the truth. And to the point where you would rather exchange the son of God for a murderer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it is sad, uh, especially because these are the guys that should have recognized who Jesus was. These are the ones who studied the prophecies. Uh, and, and I don't know how they didn't see him fulfilling them. Um, I mean, they knew that he raised Lazarus from the dead. That wasn't an indication of um, of his deity. You know, he did all of those, all of the miracles that he did. It's not like he did them in secret. Um, he tried. He told people, "Don't tell anyone that I did this." But of course, they went and did it. So they were getting reports. Um, not that he was saying something that they wouldn't like, but that he was doing things that actually proved that he was the Messiah. And that threatened their livelihood. It threatened um, everything that uh, that they created their life around, that they built their life upon. And so they had to get rid of him in order to to keep going in the way that uh, that they decided was right. Mm-hmm. And, and even after all of that, he still finds nothing wrong with Jesus. Yeah. You know? There's still no um, guilt in him. And then he says, but, you know, maybe I can kind of calm the crowds yeah. by punishing him. Yeah. And that's, that minute I start to think about that punishment, I actually, a few my first time in Israel, we went into the praetorium, that, that Roman guard area mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. there was, you know, you could walk through there and it was, um, it was really low yeah. because of um, uh, a te- the temple hadn't been, basically the city had been built up on top of it again. Right. But... In the um, ground, in the stone road, was the carvings of the casting lots game mm-hmm. that the Roman soldiers would have played. Yeah, you could see that. In and the second time we went to Israel, that, that was closed, and you can't see, you can't go there anymore. And I'm, I think it was for safety reasons or whatever. But um, right there, 
this is where we think they were casting lots mm-hmm. for Jesus' garments. Yeah. Um, this is where he was beaten and mm-hmm. scourged and his blood was shed all over here. And I think about that scourging and that whip, how, you know, on the end of that whip, it just wasn't, it wasn't Indiana Jones's whip. No, yeah, exactly. It had glass and it had things on it. So the purpose when the whip would wrap around the body of Jesus and they pulled the whip away, its purpose would, it would tear its flesh. And I watched a documentary once on this and they said that essentially the way that Romans would scourge uh, their prisoners is they would they would have no flesh left on their back. Mm. And and if that's the case, then if Jesus had no flesh on his back, can you imagine this point when they put the cross yeah. on his back and he has to now carry uh, his cross mm-hmm. to um, Golgotha yeah. or the place of the skull? Yeah. Probably not a smooth beam either, right? Like that's that's the whole point is is um, extending the pain and and the torture. Uh, what el- what else is interesting is that uh, as as Pilate appeases the crowd and says, "Okay, okay, we'll punish Jesus," um, they don't. Their demand is for the worst possible punishment imaginable. Um, you know, even if 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 Pilate says, "All right, we'll we'll give you Barabbas." And, uh, I, but, you know, we got to do something with Jesus. At some point, we're going to release him. And they say, no, 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 we want him dead. And not just dead, crucified in the, the worst imaginable death that, uh, that Rome could come up with is what they wanted for Jesus. It wasn't enough that he was to be punished. It wasn't enough that he was to be beaten. It wasn't enough that he was to be killed, that they wanted uh, Jesus to experience uh, the highest level of anguish and pain available. And can you imagine, because as I'm looking at the passage here, um, that this group that of people that are in that crowd, that are screaming out, crucify him, crucify him, you would have a set, you would have a clear draw between two groups of people. You'd have those who loved and supported and and uh, were there for Jesus. Mm-hmm. You'd have his disciples that were were there and be watching this. And yet their voices weren't as loud as the ones who are yelling yeah. crucified. Yeah. And that's one of the things I think about in this world. And I had a really interesting conversation with somebody who had come to one of our training workshops. And the question that she brought out was, in our society today, should our voices be loud mm-hmm. um, so that we stand for truth, we make it known for, for what we, our position in truth, or sh- are we supposed to not be loud and outrageously mm-hmm. screaming like this as believers that we then don't stand out like the others? Because... Mm-hmm. If you look in our world today, there is certainly certain people groups that are screaming from the rooftops louder than any Christians are Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to certain issues, that uh, those voices seem to be heard a lot louder than the ones that um, are not. So uh, what are your thoughts on just, because it's not a side, but just quickly like knowing that those who were there in support and mourning and lamenting, as Mm -hmm. the text says, they they weren't as loud as 
the ones who were screaming crucify him. Yeah, I, I think the reason that people get loud is because that they know that's the only weapon that they have. They don't have reason. They don't have the truth. All they can do is just scream until someone gives in to them so they'll stop yelling. And I think that's what's happening here. That's obviously what's happening with Pilate. He says, they yell, crucify him. He says, but he hasn't done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, because it is so loud and so consistent, he finally just gives in. And that's what the angry mob um, can accomplish. By yelling and screaming, um, people will give in to you just so that you will stop. That's what it's like with kids, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when kids take a temper tantrum, they know their only recourse is to is to yell and scream and flail until they get what they want. Um, and what it shows, it shows a, a, a lack of argument, a lack of truth, um, even sometimes a, a lack of intelligence. Um, if you can't argue coherently the point that you're trying to make, then the default is you get angry and you start to yell and you start to scream. Uh, and then no one can argue with you because you're the loudest person in the room. And if, mm-hmm. if your voice is the only one that's being heard, it's also the only one that's being listened to. Yeah. And then people are like, I just needed to stop. Give them what they want. Yeah, that's you right. Know? Um, what we've got here, and just to wrap up our time together, because we've got one more week in the journey to the cross. Mm-hmm. I remember doing a church service when I was a pastor, and it was a Good Friday service. And we, we, we used to do combined Good Friday services with a number of churches in the city. Yeah. And uh, I, was, I was preaching through um, these passages in, in Luke. And I was kind of doing a, a crossover into Matthew, into John, and into, into Mark, and uh, just kind of putting it all together. And we came to the point of where um, they came to the skull, which it tells us in verse 33, mm-hmm. which is very interesting because the rock, mm-hmm. you know, the rock in uh, Golgotha, which is currently like a parking lot for a bus depot oh boy. but when you step back and you look up to a few years ago they've had some erosion which they say the nose of the rock fell off mm. but you can look at that rock and you can go i get why they call it the skull right. because it looks like a skull yeah and so they came there and when we got to this part and i talked about how they were putting jesus on the cross i had all the congregation sort of kind of close their eyes for a minute mm-hmm. And I had a guy up in the balcony of the church, and I had him just hammering in railway mm. tie size nails, yeah. one by one. You know, just listen to this, people, as you hammer in those nails into the wrists, into the, into the feet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it wouldn't have been just three easy hits, you know, yeah. it would have been over and over and over until driven right through his flesh and just for you to hear that hammer hitting and realizing this is the this is what jesus went through Mm -hmm. to be the sacrifice on the cross for us and that brings us to the point here we are jesus on the cross ready to die for our sins but that's where we pick up next week when we look at his final words his resurrection and where do we go from here mm-hmm. uh, with the miracles of the cross? Mm-hmm. So thanks for joining us, and we'll uh, be with you next week. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the time that you have given us to look at your scriptures. And Father, the, 
the things that Jesus had to go through. Father, this, this uh, son of yours who was present in heaven with you at your side uh, was sent to this earth to be the perfect sacrifice for us. He was scourged, he was beaten, he was mocked. He was mocked for his royalty. They treated him, they dressed him like a king and treated him like a peasant, Lord. And Father, I think about all of the things that your son had to go to so that I could live through the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ, so that anybody who proclaims your son as Lord could have life. And so, Father, we are so thankful for all of these steps that he had to do as he came to the place of Golgotha and eventually took his last breath, knowing that that was the ultimate sacrifice that would erase sins as far as the east is to the west. So, Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy in sending us your Son to do that for us. In your name we pray. Amen. For more information on Precept Ministries Canada, visit us online at www.preceptministries.ca or call us at 877-234-2030.